Wise up! They're out to get you. The difference is by a global conspiracy. Weird men arise! Find out who they are and how to smash them! You probably already knew that the U.S. government is a sham. Something propped up there for you to blame. But did you know that the real powers that be are not even people? That they are actually shambling, unbelievable, unmentionable, unthinkable things? Yes, Jehovah is an alien and still threatens this planet! It's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim, that there's a secret society of the five wealthiest people in the world, known as the Pentavrit, mm. who run everything in the world, including the newspapers, and meet tri-annually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. So who's in this Pentavrit? The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tits up. I hated the colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're gonna buy my chicken. Oh! Dad, how can you hate the colonel? Because he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly, smart ass. Hey everybody, what's up? This is Ro. This week's show is a little bit different than normal. Lobo has the weekend off. He's out taking care of some family obligations. And his next solo episode drops next week on April 1st. No, that is not a April Fool's joke, nor is the show. Shelly joins him to talk about, um, well, death, as she normally does when she's on our show. Um, if you're a Patreon listener, you've already heard this show. But I went back in for this one and I just did some re-editing. I wasn't real comfortable with the way it sounded. So the one that drops next week is going to be a little bit different than the one that went up in Patreon because I just I had to go in and clean the audio up. It was driving me nuts. Anyways, this week I have Patrick from the Almost Educational Podcast returning to help me with the heavy, heavy lifting, I should say. And we have Aaron Goyas on the show. And back in 2015, Aaron wrote a book entitled Conspiracy Theories, The Roots, Themes and Propagation of Paranoid Political and Culture. Um. And this one, the Skype call gets really weird at the beginning of the show. We get through a little bit of it, and then for whatever reason, Skype on his end turned him into a Cylon. And we just, despite no matter what we did, we could not get the call to work. We ended up having to call him on his cell phone. A little bit of that I've left into the show because it was pretty funny what happened. But uh, basically, after we called him back, the rest of the show went completely fine. This is a long show. And as often I do when these shows get strange, I, I tell people up front, this may not be the show for you. It is not a political show, but because of everything going on right now in politics and the absolute strangeness that's happening, say of it what you will, we do tap on it a little bit, though we do our absolute best not to favor any kind of political party or anything like that, because I just don't want to catch any grief on it. But we, uh, about halfway through the interview, we get to uh, talking about David Icke and that kind of stuff, and it, it kind of reverts back to what we normally do. But again, if this isn't your kind of show and you're not into it, okay, just shut it off, come back. Next week, we'll have something else on the show because that's the way we roll. Having said that, I'll see you guys at the other side. You get into an argument with a flat earther, and I guarantee you lose your temper before he loses it because he's enjoying being stupid. He's enjoying making you angry just by sticking to a position which he knows nobody else can believe. 
That also gives you a feeling of being belonging to the elite. Everybody else is too stupid to see the truth, but I belong to a small group that knows the truth. After you believe that, you're ready when the leader says, here's, here's your cyanide Kool-Aid, have a drink. You go, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and you swallow it all down. All right, so tonight I have two guests with me. I have returning guest Patrick from Almost Educational. Say hi, Patrick. Hi, Patrick. That's good enough. <laughs> and I have author Aaron Goulias. Am I pronouncing your last name Goulias? Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, yeah, actually, that's the correct way. I don't say it that way, though. Um, it, I usually say, I was always raised Goulias, but Goulias is, is actually more Hungarian. I had you on the show. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. I first heard you a few years ago on Tim Benal's Benal of America talking about UFOs and things like that. Oh, yeah. And then I was looking through your books, and I saw that you have the book about conspiracy theories. And I was like, this would fit real nicely on the show with what's going on right now. And that book is Conspiracy Theories, The Roots, Themes, and Propagation of Paranoid Political and Cultural Narratives, which is not at all a short title. And... Uh, <laughs> Should be fairly easy to look up. But, um, yeah, you're a school teacher as well, and you're out of Flint, Michigan. So um, I won't go into detail about your water problems. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, welcome to Project Archivist. Um, I had a lot of fun reading this book. I was surprised, however, what you did go after were the big meaty ones. You went after UFOs. You went after, um, you went after secret societies. Um, you know, all of the real big, like, paranormal, really out there conspiracy theories. And I was like, well, why didn't he go after this? Why didn't he go after that? And then after I thought about it, I realized there's just too many. There's just, yeah. you know, and especially with the political climate we have now, there's a new one popping up every day. So yeah. before I go much further, tell us about you and tell us about how you got into all this craziness. Well, um, uh, yeah, I teach uh, I teach history at Mott Community College in Flint, Michigan, and I've uh, been there for about ten years. And um, I got into this whole topic, uh, sort of the UFO side of it, as a as a kid reading um, reading uh, books by Daniel Cohen. I don't know if anybody remembers him. He he wrote World's Most Famous Ghosts, and he wrote a whole bunch of of stuff like this aimed at a at a, at a young reader audience. And then when I went off to college in, in the early to mid-90s, it sort of coincided with the rise of the internet and uh, Usenet groups like Alt Conspiracy and things like that. And uh, and pretty soon had, had discovered Bill Cooper, which sort of combined the political conspiracy stuff with the UFO conspiracy stuff and John Lear and all these, all these wacky guys. And I'm not sure how... I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I can't remember how much of it or if any of it I actually believed, but some of it seemed really, really plausible and and kind of scary. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I wanted some of it to be true, but I found it very interesting, uh, especially when I was a history major. So I'd see all of all of these theories about what had really happened during the Cold War with the aliens and the United Nations and all of this stuff. And it um, it just it just struck me as this sort of strange kind of um, alternate timeline, sort of alternate sort of sort of probably fictional timeline of American history that was that was pretty interesting. And then in graduate school, I needed to, to find a, a thesis topic to do research on. So it ended up being about 
UFO belief during the Cold War and mostly about contactees. So I sort of went off in that direction. But the conspiracy stuff was always uh, always there in the background. And, and, you know, it just kept going and going on the Internet to the point where we're at now, where it's um, – I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but certainly no mainstream trend- is becoming the right word real quickly. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 It's, it's sort of, which, which kind of takes the, the fun out of it. You know, I kind of you know, enjoyed looking at this small wacky kind of sinister and, 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 you know, troubling subculture. And, and now, you know, they're, they're making policy, uh, or at least yeah. <laughs> influence policy. So in, in some cases, so that's, um, it's it's been an it's been interesting to watch it develop, and I, I find the more mainstream this stuff becomes, the less uh, the less inclined I am to to look at some of the websites I used to go to to uh, to figure out what's going on because it's it's just so um, it's just it's just so frustrating, and you have to disengage uh, sometimes. And- And this is the point where the interview turned into this. This was starting up around that time. Whoa. I, I'm not sure how much of <laughs> oh, no. uh, Aaron, hold on a second. So, yeah, Skype made Aaron into a Dalek, and we laughed about it for about five minutes. But no matter what we did, we could not reestablish a good Skype connection with him. And it just kept doing the same thing over and over again. If you want to hear some more of that, there'll be some at the end of the song after this show. But we decided to call him on the phone, take the audio hit in quality, and just keep on going. So here we go. I am not going to ask you to tell your background again. I'll just edit it with what I've got. Okay, so now we're back after much much audio hiccups. So let's just go on. Um, You've got a piece in your book talking about historian Richard Hofstadter's uh, 1964 Harper essay, The Paranoid Style of American Politics. What was that essay and what came out of it? Um, Basically, what what Hofstadter, who was a a political scientist, was talking about was that there there had always been in, or for a very long time, uh, since the, uh, the late 19th century, um, a, uh, a paranoia that was sort of present in American political discourse um, for a very long time. And he wrote it in 1964, and so this was, you know, a decade or so on from the, uh, the sort of anti-communist hysteria, the Red Scare of the 1950s. And um, in the 1964 election, uh, Republican Barry Goldwater uh, was running on a, a sort of very sort of conservative right-wing platform uh, against uh, against Lyndon B. Johnson, and there were some elements of this uh, this sort of paranoid extremism coming out again. And so Hofstetter uh, sort of examined this in in the the longer trajectory of American politics, and and what he sort of um, sort of concluded was that. There was a that this this paranoid style was was usually about um, sort of a, a dispossessed group, um, sort of sort of railing against I- elites, and that has sort of um, set the tone for anti-conspiracy theory discourse um, in the scholarly in the scholarly realm 
from the, the 60s on. If there's a group that's, that's focused on a conspiracy theory, if there's a group that's focused on some sort of paranoid interpretation of politics, it's because they are fearful of change. It's because they are fearful of a group of, that they perceive as shadowy elites in politics and that they are usually um, and almost certainly wrong uh, in some way. And they're letting their own fear of, of whatever is coming down the road politically or economically um, you know, shadow or you know, shade, uh, shade their judgment. It wasn't really passed over. It was, um, it, it was sort of folded into how uh, political scientists and journalists uh, reacted to uh, reacted to conspiracy theories. Uh, before this, th- there was there was a sort of sense that well, these these guys are, you know, clearly just, you know, clearly just just strange. They're an- they're extreme anti-communists, and that was was sort of you know explored in that solely that vein. And Hofstetter comes out and and says that um, that that this is. This is a personality trait, a political personality trait. Uh, paranoia is a psychiatric term, right? So this is a, a personality trait, and this is, this is something that has always been in American politics. From the, anti, uh, from the anti-Freemason movement of the 1820s and 30s to the fear of, uh, of international bankers like the Rothschilds, Manipulating the American economy in the 1880s and 1890s, to anti-radicalism in the 19-teens and 20s, to um, to anti-communism in the 40s and 50s and 60s. So what Hofstadter did was he said this has always been a part of American politics, and we need to understand that it's here. But we need to understand that that these are people who who are threatened by what's coming. And they are mostly, um, mostly, um, you know, on the, in some way, Hofstetter said, conservative, anti-radical, um, anti-internationalist, anti-globalist, you know, side of things. What it did was it provided a, it provided a, a paradigm and a model for, for everybody who came after Hofstetter to talk about talk about uh, conspiracy theory in the political realm. And what's interesting is, is for you know, 50 years after Hofstetter writes this, uh, most mainstream journalism articles that talked about political conspiracy theories would usually reference Hofstetter in some way. It was, it was um, incredibly, uh, incredibly influential. And um, others have, have, taken, have taken issue with it. They, they said that he, he tends to target those you know, sort of on the bottom who, who feel like they're being oppressed as the only people who come up with conspiracy theories. And, and others have pointed out that, well, you know, those at the top of society have conspiracies about, you know, everybody at the bottom who wants to topple them and have a revolution. I was just going to so say that this been, is all still playing yeah. into effect today with with what's going on with our election, especially this last election that is going on now. I mean, we're not a political show, and I'm not trying to get political in any way, shape, or form, but everything you've just described it's like you could have said that within the last two weeks. You know? yeah. <laughs> You've got everything with yeah. communism going on again, and you know it, the the people at the bottom, and now the people at the top are, are pushing in different directions. It's it's like yeah. all of this, everything old is new again. Well, can, can I jump in real quick with a question? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, the the interesting thing I picked up out of the book was, and what you just said kind of makes sense. After Hofstadler and uh, into Watergate in Vietnam. 
did, did that kind of let, I don't know, mainstream, but did it validate a lot of these fears and make those mainstream? The people said, oh, there really is the, the, the elites conspiring to create war with the Gulf of Tonkin. There really is, you know, the president um, trying to cover up uh, massive conspiracies where he's spying on people. Or, or was that just something else that happened that went along and it was going to happen eventually anyway? I mean, you know, I'm asking I, to make it like, but I, but I always wonder if there's a, is there a demarcation point where where it was this thing that was, you know, that 10 year fear of the first American third political party being the anti Freemason party. And then it kind of died. But then, you know, it became anti Catholic party or whatever anti globalist yeah. party that came along. But what was Nixon and Vietnam, especially something that kind of just spread it or no? I mean, I, I know I'm asking you to, to, to throw a huge theory out here. That's that's a really interesting question because there's there's a couple points where you start to see things change, and one of them is in some peoples and groups um, rejection of the Warren Commission findings. Mm. Um, the uh, I think it was the CIA. Either, I can't remember offhand, but the CIA or the FBI actually comes up with the phrase conspiracy theorist as a mm. sort of pejorative label. To, um, to, to sort of discredit those who question the official findings of the Warren Commission. So in, in the late 60s and early 70s, you start to see this, um, this sort of, um, this sort of you know, public shunning of this idea of people who question the official narrative are, are wrong, um, are, are wrong and are grinding an ax and are pushing the agenda. Now, then, in the 70s with Watergate and the Pentagon Papers and especially the, um, the Rockefeller Commission and the Church Committee hearings about CIA activities and FBI counterintelligence of um, anti-war groups and, and other you know, intelligence agency chicanery that comes out, what you have is a growing, a growing suspicion of and discontent with, not discontent, a, a growing suspicion of and distrust of the federal government in general. Mm. However, I think that's a little different from what would emerge as the, as, as the conspiracy culture. What, what I think happens is, it's kind of a cliched phrase, but the conspiracy culture, the conspiracy wing of the political culture starts moving the goalposts. Okay, this may be what Congress said, and this may be what the official hearing brought out. This may be what they're admitting to, but there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. There's always more secrets down the road. So the conspiracy culture kind of keeps, keeps ahead of the curve a little bit with, with theories that aren't always supported by, by the available accepted evidence, but the culture as a whole became much less trusting of um, that, that, the, that what the government said was the truth, or if not the truth, was a lie that was being told to us for our best interests, um, which everybody sort of, you know, up through the 1960s, had, you know, we had this sort of liberal consensus culture that said, you know, everybody's pretty much fine in the government. They might not agree with each other, but everybody just wants what's best for America. After Vietnam, after Watergate, you've got an entire generation of Americans who say, we, we just don't trust these guys. 
Um, in a lot of cases, that meant that people tended toward more conspiratorial thinking. But I think in most cases, the result was uh, more apathy about politics mm. than, than conspiratorial activism. No, the, I don't know if that made sense. No, that made, <laughs> no absolutely it does. Sense. It answered all the questions. I, that, that, and in fact, answered my follow-up question. I was going to ask about the church commission hey, and, right. and, and looking even more into, uh, into the actual agencies. Uh, because I, I feel like, especially in your book, the way you laid it out, I mean, you take those six grand templates of conspiracies, and then you go through chronologically how they developed in America, which I think uh, is, uh, that's my other question. I mean, did you just sit with a gigantic spreadsheet or, or something on a wall? That, like, yeah, did you have the little strings going from pen to pen yeah. to pen, you know, with a bullseye in the middle? You know of what? <laughs> and then move them you into know, each category? A, How did you do that? About a, third away, about a third of the way through writing the book, I wish I had. Oh. <laughs> what I had was a bunch of scribbling in, uh, in notebooks. Oh. And, um, so you look like a deranged and, lunatic. And was, <laughs> I did. Um, I, I did all this scrawling um, uh, when I was working on the... Uh, and then I put together the proposal. And in the proposal, the publisher I sort of mapped out chapter by chapter what I wanted to do. And, um, and then as I wrote the book, I sort of worked, I sort of worked from that. And I, I really did need a, uh, a big spreadsheet. And as to um, the, the, the earlier point, if the Skype recording picked it up, about, you know, there's, there's you know, all these things I covered, but why didn't I cover this or that? Yeah. Because I'd still be writing it. Um, so <laughs> it, it did get, it did get, get kind of confusing, but yeah, there was the, the sort of an, as, a, as an aside, um, the original plan was in my original proposal, there were the, the sort of thematic chapters examining each of these conspiracies. And then there was going to be a sort of concluding chapter that talked about all the connections between those different categories. And I realized I, that no, I will, my brain will explode <laughs> if I try to do that. So I, I worked in the connections a little more sort of integrated into each of the chapters, which I, I think probably was, was the only, only way to do it. But, but yeah, it, um, it, it was a, it was an organizational nightmare to figure well. out. Well, here's my follow-up question on that. Then when you read one through six, uh, maybe it's just how my brain formatted as I read it, uh, even though they did seem like very, I mean, you know, from mind control to the idea of uh, forbidden science and mad science idea, forbidden knowledge, mad science, you know, there, there's a kind of close connection, but I, I think, I don't know if you did this purposely, where you start and where you end also does a good job of, you start really with the basis of it and the base conspiracy. I, I mean, this is how I interpret it. That the end, I felt like, okay, I, especially by the Forbidden Science um, chapter, I could see how all of this stuff connected with earlier stuff. And it wasn't, there was way more crossover with all these conspiracies than I, than I initially thought. Uh, and I don't know if there's one big one that hinges with all of them. But I mean, that, that was my reading, that it was both, you know, categorized and uh, slightly chronological as you went through. Well, good. I, I'm okay, glad good, good, good. that way. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> yes, good. Um, that, that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of how I, how I, tried, how I tried to structure it. And I, I think um, if, I, if, I, if I had it to, to do over again, what, what I, you, you sort of mentioned that you didn't know if there was one big conspiracy that sort of connects everything. I, I, think, I think it goes back in a way to, to what Hofstetter 
talked about is, is that, you know, at, at the heart of all of these conspiracy theories is the fear that, that there is, there is a group that is controlling things that we have no agency over. Mm. And in a, in a democracy, in a representative form of government, that's, you know, that, that's like the uber fear. You know, right. in, a, in a totalitarian society, the idea that, that there are powers to control things that, that you have no influence on, well, yeah, I mean, you're living in a totalitarian society. But this is America, or this is the, the you, know, you know, small L liberal, you know, democratic West. You know, this is, you know, the citizen, citizen sovereignty and, and all of these things. And, and the idea that at the heart of this is, all of our systems that we've built to take the people's will into consideration, to act on the people's wills and desires, that it's all a scam and it's all a sham and it's all just, you know, this, this scenery and behind it is, you know, you know, five guys in, you know, a bunker somewhere, you know, moving us all around, a you know, a, a risk board or something. I, I think that's, that's, you know, when the election was going on, I kept hearing the people on the news, they would make reference to the days of men hanging around in smoke-filled rooms with cigars in their mouths trying to figure out who's going to win this election or over yeah. with. And I always thought, I was like, wow, that's a really strange term to use, you know, in regards to what's going on with the election mm-hmm. stuff. I'd never really heard that term used up until this year because it was like, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? The vote goes this way. Are they going to get together and do this meeting? And I remember specifically them saying that, that the other days of the guys getting together in smoke-filled rooms, you know, having a powwow, trying to figure out who's going to be the president. Those days are over with. It doesn't work that way anymore. I'm like, well, when did it ever, when did it ever work like that? Or, you know, theoretically, it's not, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just caught it was really strange yeah. when I said that. It's, um, you know, there, there's a couple things, things historically we can point to. Um, more, I mean, it's more common when you're talking about parties choosing the nomination. Um, that process has gotten far more, uh, far more democratic in the last hundred years than than it ever was in the in the 1800s. Then you would have party bosses getting together, smoking you know 18,000 cigars in a room in the back of a tavern mm-hmm. while they argued who the you know Democratic nominate nominee for president would be. Um, as far as actually choosing the president, probably the, the best example of, of that, and probably the only one that really fits the, 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 the backroom deal sort of thing, was uh, in 1876 between uh, Samuel Tilden, the Democrat, and Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican. Um, neither had a majority in the Electoral College because votes from, I think, Florida, South Carolina, and Oregon uh, were in dispute. Um, the, the votes, the ballots themselves had been damaged. They couldn't be counted. It was unclear. It wasn't. Haven't heard of that before. Mathematically. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I know. Um, you know. It's um. So there was, you know, there there was a committee appointed um, by by Congress to look into this, and, and it was, you know, students always say, "Well, I remember. Shouldn't it have been thrown into the House of Representatives?" And, I said, yeah, but they found a reason not to do that. And so they appointed a committee to look at it. And the committee went into deliberations and the committee came out and the decision was Hayes wins the election. And then sort of 
as part of some kind of deal. There's no real written record of this deal. Uh, he appointed a number of Democrats to the cabinet and pulled the rest of the uh, uh, U.S. Army troops out of the South and basically ended Reconstruction. Um, so there was kind of a deal where the, the Democrats would concede the election and the Republicans would do some things the Democrats wanted. Um, and, and Tilden won the, won the popular vote, uh, but that electoral vote was disputed. So there was, there was a deal made. That's probably the closest to an actual, a group of, a group of shady fellows went into a room and they came out and told us who the president was. That um, we know it, of. <laughs> that we know of, right. Well, yeah, that, uh, that is, you know, acknowledged and accepted. I mean, we all know that, that the, the president is usually chosen by the Rockefellers uh, from the oh, we'll get there, don't mansion on, on the moon. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, Aaron, you, you brought up, I'm sorry, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. You brought up a great point when we talked about um, the, the expectation with, 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 your, with your students, I think with people in general. I, I, I've talked government and I teach it was a boon this year with this election cycle rhetoric for 12th grade students. So it, this has been like, I've never had greater examples of, of all kinds of pathos and ethos and logos for my students than this election wow, cycle. Yeah. Oh, it, it was fantastic. I, I didn't have to, to crack a book once or talk about ancient Greece once. I would just play the debates and I'd say, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they kept saying things like, what have they learned in 10th grade government? Which, which I think everyone in America learns in 10th grade government that, well, we have this system and it's got all these rules and all these rules and this is how the system's supposed to work. And I, and I kept telling them, you know, they said, well, that's not how this usually works. And I said, you know, they're just stuff written on paper. You guys get that, right? There, there's not some kind of huge mecha robot that's going to come and enforce any of this stuff. That's why they call it constitutional crisis. And there is no real order to this. It's it's all of America is governed off a couple of pieces of paper, like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and everyone just agrees to go by it. And the second someone decides not to go by that system, then you have chaos. And and they kept saying, yeah, but that's not how it is. And, and I always wonder if everyone has this very... Uh, 10th grade history of how 10th grade government or civics, whatever they took of how everything's supposed to work. And the second something deviates from that, uh, like we mentioned before, Florida, everyone collectively goes berserk. And then that's where a lot of these, I, I one of the big things in the book I took away and then, which I do like in your subtitle, that political and social things, I think American politics in general, just because it's born out of a conspiracy of, of, you know, rich merchants coming up with an idea to break away from an empire that they didn't trust oh, a yeah. glo globalists, you know, having control over them, uh, kind of is baked into the cake. And when the second something goes off that system, everyone has to find some kind of, well, there's a deep state system that must operate below this other system. Well, you know, just people making good and bad decisions at times. And this is the result we get. And it was really hard to get across to my students that like, none of this is written in stone. You know, no one handed them a stone to, to make this plan and all of it's chaotic afterward. And it, you just, you hope people follow, you know, the moral decency and the law of the land as it was laid before. That's why there's precedent. Yep, I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's that's really uh, really true. Um, one of the one of the things that that um, I I I've been I was fortunate last time. See, because I don't want I don't want to talk about anything about the election in class because I I just I'll get in trouble. Um, yeah. So you know, <laughs> teaching ancient you know ancient history and early American history. And what's what's great is I could say things in in my history classes that 
were absolutely about whatever time period I was talking about, but could equally be applied to what was going on in the news that day. And and, and so if anybody complained, I'd be just like, well, I was talking about the Federalists, man. Um, <laughs> so it, one, of the, one of the things that that is is really really difficult i think for for average citizens with citizens with a a high school government class knowledge of how the government works um to, to grasp is that what the constitution says about how the government works is pretty darn sparse Mm -hmm. I mean, the entire court system is set up with there shall be a Supreme Court and whatever other courts Congress thinks it needs, you know, so exactly that's pretty wide open. It doesn't even specify the number of justices. And, well, you know, <laughs> as as we saw in the last couple of days with attempts to get various pieces of legislation passed. Yes, Congress votes up or down or legislation in whatever manner they see fit. So there are procedural votes and there are committees and there are rules and there are a thousand votes that have to take place in various, com that's an exaggeration, but in, in various committees in order to get the bill to be voted on to a point where Congress votes on a bill. And right. Schoolhouse Rock doesn't talk about that. Right. It just says <laughs> right. the bill becomes law when people talk or, or when people vote. I'm like, you, you didn't talk about committees and you didn't talk about this and you didn't talk about that. And, you know, our entire structure of government is, uh, is designed to, and has grown to, to prevent radical rapid change, which I'm not sure is a terrible thing. Um, depending on what some of those radical changes people might want to be. So when things don't go the way people want them to, or the way they expect them to, it's not just, well, our incredibly complex system has prevented that from happening. It's why didn't this happen? Something right. must be behind it. There must be a conspiracy. Well, right. can we go down the road of the weird now and start taking off into the odd directions that you've gone in this? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. We're going to, well, it won't, we're not going to go too far from what you guys are talking about now, but you brought up the anti-Freemasonry party. And I yeah. have, me being the dumb person that I am, have never heard of that before. So let's start, if we're going to go on a realm of conspiracy and strangeness, dealing with all these secret societies, the Freemasons catch a lot of that grief. So tell me about the anti-Freemason party. Well, the, the, before we can talk about the Freemason party, let's talk about the Freemasons. Um, which, you know, it, the... The Lodge, the Masons, the Freemasons, Full whatever disclosure, you want to call them. My normal co-host, Lobo, is actually a Freemason. <laughs> so, You see, he, he didn't show up tonight because... Correct. <laughs> he didn't show up tonight because he knew I'd expose him. Um, no. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I did another another uh, another podcast a while back, and the, the host was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Freemason. I'm like, well, I'm a Lutheran now. Who cares? Exactly. But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, it, it um, and so yeah, the, uh, the a lot of prominent American leaders in the colonial and early republic period were Freemasons. The, these these lodges served as as they do now, as as places where 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 people, especially in that time, of certain you know social and economic strata, you know, congregated, you know, talked made plans, discussed things. It was, it was part of the social fabric of, of, uh, of America at the time. But especially 
on the East Coast, in New York, and in New England, uh, you had, in some towns, in some states, people started to notice that every political office was held by a Freemason. Hmm, that sounds suspicious. Don't you think they'd look out for each other? Golly. (laughs) And so there began to, in the 18-teens, 1820s, there was a growing, um, growing trend of people who weren't Masons, but who were involved in politics, being very suspicious of the power that these Masons had. And in, uh, I want to say 1828, in, uh, in 1828, 27, 28, in New York State, um, there were a bunch of people that decided you know, we need to band together to stop the power of the Freemasons. And one of the things that kicked this off was the death of a guy named William Morgan, uh, who, was, uh, who was from New York, and he disappeared in 1826. And he disappeared in 1826 after he threatened to publish a book revealing all of the secrets and mysteries and rituals of the Freemasons. Hillary did um, it. He, uh, pardon? <laughs> said Hillary did it. <laughs> Hillary did it, yes. He was Vince Foster, and, um, you know, <laughs> um, so, so William, William Morgan, uh, William Morgan, he, guy in, his, guy in his, his early 50s, he, uh, he, he dies, and he, um, well, he, he disappears, and then he shows up. Um, the people say he was taken out into the Niagara River and thrown overboard, and he was never seen again. Others said he was just, you know, paid off to go away. Um, a few months after he supposedly, a few months after he disappeared, a body washes up on the shores of Lake Ontario off the Niagara River. It's decomposed to the point where people can't really tell who it is, but the story starts going around, oh my gosh, this is William Morgan. They had him killed. They had him killed. Oh my gosh. Um, and there's a, great, uh, there's a great line. I can't remember. Um, I, I th- oh, Thurlow Weed, which is the best name ever, uh, a New York politician. I, I think it was Thurlow Weed. Uh, somebody asked him, um, or something about William Morgan's disappearance and about the body. Um, and he said something like, uh, the body was a good enough William Morgan, uh, or something like that. <laughs> well, that's to, exactly uh, to what it is. This, yeah, to, to, to launch this, um, this, this anti, uh, anti-Masonic party. When they launched the anti-Masonic party, because they knew there was a lot of anti-Masonic sentiment, but also these people were opponents of Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson was a Freemason. And so they were able to, to sort, of, sort of lump Jackson into the Masonic thing and get people, especially working class people, who were more, more likely to support Jackson, to oppose Jackson because he was a Mason. So is it because they had any solid evidence on what the Masons were up to? Not really. Um, it was jealousy. It was... Um, it was social status inferiority complex. That's the thing, right? Um, it was uh, it was personal jealousy. It was this desire by 
by Auntie Jackson elements in New York to, uh, to, to find a way to fight Jackson. Um, and, and so the anti-Masonic party was launched, and they were pretty successful. And then after the anti-Masonic stuff died down, they found other other causes, like like anti-immigration stuff and, and the temperance movement. And they would sort of just like glom on to, to popular things. And and they they hung around for, for quite a few years. All right, my next question then. And I'm going to move on because this is something we've always wanted to cover on the show, and we've never able to be able to get anybody on here to actually talk about it. Oddly enough, tell me about the actual history of the Bavarian Illuminati. Why are they so into hip hop, and why did they have Harambe killed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. It, 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 Aaron, I mean, Aaron, I, my students are absolutely fascinated with anything Illuminati. I, I, yeah, that's I, the I, thing I, now. Oh my God! I show is, any is it really? any mention of it. The, Anything, I, I, it used to be strictly rap related, whatever rap, pop culture, conspiracy was going on. But then it became a meme and it came back from being a meme back to something they really believed in. And now, I mean, I'm just reading teenagers in Southeast Michigan here, but like now it's almost like an anti uh, flat earther <laughs> rebuff or something. Every year. At the Super Bowl, as soon as the Super Bowl is over with, within five minutes, you can go on YouTube and see any number of a barrage of videos talking about how the halftime show yep. was actually a, oh, yeah. oh, an yeah. Illuminati, magical, um, antichrist, yeah, yeah. Um, magical ritual yeah. praising the Dark yep. Lord or something along those lines. It they're, doesn't they're, matter they're, what it is. Yep, they're summoning Cthulhu or something. Yeah, yep. it, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I knew about, you know, vaguely about, you know, the sort of sort of surprising number of, of Illuminati references, not not necessarily in the hip, in the rap, in the, in, the, in the works themselves, but the people talking about it. Um, so so the kids are into this now. Great. Oh, I love it. Up in my <laughs> classroom in like two all, years yeah. asking me about the Illuminati. Yep. I, I've had some of it. Um, I, I, I Yeah, great. That's so where does it start, though? Um, the Bavarian Illuminati was the first one? Yeah, that fits, you know, as far as the actual as the actual history of it, it is just flat dang boring. It really is. Um, the Illuminati, or Enlightened Ones, came about during, this is a shocker, guys, the Enlightenment, <laughs> um, which is one of those historical eras that gave itself its own name because they thought so much of themselves, right? Kind of like the Renaissance. <laughs> Um, you know, what, what are we? We're the renaissance. What is that? We're, we're the rebirth of, of classical culture. Jeez, you know, have some humility and let historians name you later, right? But the, the Bavarian Illuminati was, was basically a, a secret society founded on May 1st, 1776 in, uh, in Bavaria. And they're by Adam Weishaupt. Uh, and their goal, their, their objective was to... Um, was to sort of, you know, oppose the, the sort of absolute monarchy political system in, uh, in Bavaria and, and the Holy Roman Empire at the time. Uh, they, you know, were, were pretty down on the, the massive amount of influence that, uh, that the church, the, the established state church had in, in politics. Um, they were, were pro-rationalism, pro rationalism, uh, pro pro-rationalism, pro-scientific revolution, anti-superstition, um, anti-religion, 
to a degree, but mostly anti-excessive political power of religion. They basically had the same political and social and philosophical goals as Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine. The thing is, in Great Britain and colonial America, where Franklin and, uh, and, and Paine and Jefferson were, those ideas were, were popular. And um, the elites, like those guys, sort of paid attention to them. And they didn't have the kind of absolutist monarchy that continental Europe had. So if you're in continental Europe, if you're in the Holy Roman Empire, or you're in France, and you are one of these sort of Enlightenment-era, anti-absolutism, pro-rationalism groups, you've got to be a secret society because it's illegal to have your views. They weren't a secret society because they were in a basement casting spells, you know, summoning the Dark Lord. They were in, in, in a basement being secret because they were talking about things like the king shouldn't have this kind of arbitrary power and why do none of the bishops pay taxes? Hmm. And so it becomes a more sort of exotic secret thing in continental Europe because there's just way more cracking down on, on this Enlightenment philosophy than there was in the English-speaking world. And then in the 1780s and the 1790s, the, the Catholic Church begins to crack down on them in the Holy Roman Empire, and rumors start to, uh, start to surface that, that it was this group and others like them who were responsible for the French Revolution, and they were in the sense that Enlightenment-era rationalism and ideas about um, absolutism being a bad form of government were responsible for a lot of the French Revolution. And, and so the Bavarian Illuminati is suppressed, and they eventually, you know, they eventually, you know, so as an organization kind of die out. But, you know, mostly the Illuminati disappears because in the, in the 19th century, those Enlightenment era rationalist ideas become kind of just the way things are throughout the Western, the Western world. But the idea sort of hangs around. And it's, it's a shady kind of word, Illuminati. And in the pop culture, it's become, uh, especially in the conspiracy world, a sort of shorthand for whatever elites are trying to change, you know, the way things are and, and, and bring everything under their control. And what's interesting about this Illuminati concept is depending on which conspiracy theorist you're reading, the Illuminati is a completely different group of people with a completely different agenda. Yeah, it's all if you look at, at Yeah, if you look at, at evangelical Christian evangelical Christian sort of end times Bible prophecy conspiracy theorists, the Illuminati is a bunch of is a bunch of, you know, sort of sort of to, to use the phrase secular humanist globalist you know, atheists. If you look at, um, if you look at sort of, sort of the, the more left-wing conspiracy theories, the Illuminati is, is basically the, um, the, the corporate, you know, financial structure and the people behind it. Um, if, if you look at, if you look at sort of, sort of secular right-wing conspiracy paranoia, the, the Illuminati's goal is to, to basically take our guns. You know, it's it, so it's, it's a great, 
the Illuminati is, is a great concept because it's become so completely divorced from its historical context that you can basically slap that label on anything that you think is a problem and, and, and sort of, thanks to the internet and YouTube, semiotically, you say the Illuminati, and most people have some idea that it's a sinister thing that's up to no good. Um, so it's, it's gone from being an actual sort of organization and, and sort of underground rationalist movement in continental Europe to sort of a, a shorthand for whoever I think is up to, you know, or, or is trying to, to undermine whatever I think is good. Um, which, which is a pretty handy thing to have for a conspiracy theorist. You can just sort of say the Illuminati and, uh, and not sort of like the elites, right? You don't have to like spell out who they are. You can just say, well, everybody knows about them. Like Bohemian Grove. I mean, go, go on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Bohemian Grove. They're all at Bohemian Grove. A bunch of guys, a bunch of, bunch of old slabby guys in their boxer shorts walking around urinating the woods drinking too much. That's Bohemian Grove. But the Bohemian Grove. Oh, my God, Bohemian Grove. I saw Alex Jones talk about it. So, you know, it, it becomes this, this sinister thing and kind of a shorthand. Yeah, that's, that is definitely a guy, I'm going to catch a lot of flack for saying this, but that is definitely a guy that has made a career off of propagating and advancing this stuff to the fullest possible extent. Um, the, <laughs> I blame people like him for propagating a lot of this and making this stuff what it is, because I'm, I'm not a conspiracy guy. We get a lot of people that are like, hey, why don't you guys talk about conspiracy theories more and, and discuss conspiracy and the problem is it's such a mesmia. It's so, it, to go yeah. into it, it's it's so, it, what's amazing is it's a world unto itself where everything is crisscrossed, everything is interconnected in some way, shape, or form, you know, and, and they'll go, yeah, that's the whole point of it. And it's like, I tend to wonder if like, if this went from something that was just fun to look into and fun to think about to a point where it's no longer something fun to think about and look into to this is the way things are now and this is what it is and this is yeah. really what's going on at this point. Because I can't recall ever in my life, like as I was growing up, I would see people, you would always have the crazy guy here and there that believed in this stuff. Well, now it's a point where it's like there's a lot of people that believe in this stuff. You know, and it's, yeah. everybody is the enemy. Everybody, you know, it, even amongst themselves, it's it's that whole X Files trust no one mentality at this point. Um, yeah, and like even with the Bavarian Illuminati that I know of, they were even afraid of the Freemasons too. If I'm correct, they were like, they they didn't like any other secret society, and they questioned even you know everybody else out there besides them as well. So yeah, yeah, you know, which is because, weird because. because it's like you know, Freemasons run everything. Well, the Illuminati runs everything. They all, well, they all get they all get lumped, lumped in together, don't they? Yeah. Well, the Illuminati and the Freemasons really didn't get along. And what about the Rosicrucians? They had a lot of problems with the Rosicrucians. Well, the Rosicrucians, the Rosicrucians if you can if you can say who the Rosicrucians and quickly, you know, just to put that since you're putting it out there, who, how who were the Rosicrucians in? Were they they were the Catholic Secret Society? Um, yeah, the Rosicrucians. Um, it, it's, a, it's a movement, sort of. Uh, in early modern, uh, early modern Europe, it's a sort of esoteric order that, um, you know, it's it, the, uh, the rosy cross is where, is where it, it comes from, but it's part of this much larger, um, much larger tradition of, of esoteric groups, um, sort of called hermeticism, um, 
supposedly a guy named Hermes Trimagestus, you know, had secret knowledge. It's a huge, huge thing. But the <laughs> trust me, we're there. <laughs> as, yeah, it's 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 that's like an entire like ten part series. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's think about it in terms of it's one of these groups that um, that may or may not have existed in any sort of organized way. Um, it first surfaces in these anonymous sort of documents that sort of talk about it. Uh, it gets folded into some of the Freemasonry uh, in the um, in, in the early modern in the early modern era, and um, it. it like like the Freemasons, like the Illuminati, uh, like a lot of these these things, it becomes one of these names of a thing that's thrown into um, that's thrown into these narratives. And so the, the the historical background of it is, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's one of these strange esoteric groups that that was. I mean, I'm generalizing here it's mm-hmm. like three guys in a goldfish being weird and then it sort of gets out of hand and it <laughs> you know sort of it's, it's like my, my buddy and i in college inventing an entire fake record company you know and telling people we have a record company and, and, and inventing executives to talk about right it, it which sounds kind of weird when i say it out loud but um you know it's one of these stories that that, that sort of that sort of gains momentum on their own so there's all these different groups it's tied into uh, tied into Freemasonry, and um, it, it's it's all just a massive migraine-inducing ball of string. Patrick, did you have anything? Because I haven't heard you in a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to jump on what you kind of said in general about the idea of conspiracy theories. That uh, I always my take is, I mean, I, there's conspiracies, yeah, but I always think they're pretty out in the open. I mean, there was a conspiracy to you know with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the Fed to kind of inflate. Um, home prices and mortgage prices and it came out to be a, a, a huge cluster F in 2008 when it was all exposed that this inflation was going on and we all turn and look at it and go oh my god it's terrible it's resulted in, in an economic downturn that we haven't seen since the 1930s but what can we do about it I know we'll talk about yeah. some something else because that's something we can't control and we can talk about or you know the, the idea that the, the CIA was supplying the Mojahedin for you know, a, a decade in Afghanistan, and then they turn around to use the same tactics and we- weapons to uh, attack the West. Oh my God! Well, it must be something else because that's too cut and dry. And, and we know that conspiracy, so it has to be something deeper. Uh, but the, the the scary thing, uh, as I read your book, it came to light for the past mm, probably five, four political cycles. I've worked for a like a local. I don't want to say what it is on, on the podcast, but something that 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 favors a small pack for a very select teachers group uh, I'll leave it as ambiguous and opaque as that is and I would drive around to like young people and elderly people anyone else to go um, support local candidates and I remember in 2004 there was some kind of low bubbling talk about George Bush and Iraq conspiracy theory stuff going on uh, that it was you know drummed up for Halliburton to get oil and these huge grand you know imperial conspiracies mm-hmm. and even during 2008 there was some stuff about um, during the banking crisis. But this cycle on both right and left, no matter who I was driving around, I, I was aghast at like what they were saying because these are some of the same people in 2008 that I was driving around. They were saying absolutely insane, you know, connecting A to Z dotted stuff that I, I would think you would hear 
on like a very end tail end of a coast to coast on a Thursday night that no one was listening to like stuff. Uh, I, I would look at, I would look at them and I, and I would, and I would say like, yeah, but yeah, like, like that's kind of funny, right? You saw that like Facebook, that's kind of funny. And, and they would say, no, it's true. And, and there was just this, this, this true believer face. I mean, from the far Bernie right, uh, left, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter to the hardcore Trumper, it was almost like a straight line to the level of complexity for this thing to happen to rig a system. And I, you know, since 2004, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good 12 plus years. I've done election cycles, both, you know, midterm and big ones where I've driven people around and had them go to polling stations and had them set up to go town halls and stuff. And I've never heard them talk as openly and as wild as they have this time. And I have no idea if this is just something that's slowly bubbled up and I haven't, hasn't been on my radar, but like this year was outrageous for all that stuff. And, and reading this book, I was like, oh my God, like the mega city stuff you talked about that was in the seventies with NAFTA fears was the same stuff being talked about in 2016. And I felt like saying to them, I wish I read the book then I was like, Hey, like, like, you know, people said this in the seventies, do you see mega cities anywhere? Like I, I see like yep. suburban sprawl, but not mega cities. Like, but I mean, they were literally saying the term mega cities. And I was like, uh, this is not judge dread. Like what mega cities do you see anywhere other than New York city in America? I don't understand what you're saying. I, I don't know if yeah. that's a question to you, but like I, your, your book helped me connect all of that together, you know, three months later, I was like, oh my God, this is all the same stuff kind of repurposed for, you know, another generation or, or the same generation that didn't get it the first time. It's like Taco yeah, Bell. I, it's the same I, thing, just repackaged. <laughs> 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 yeah. How many, how many different ways can you do a Chalupa, right? Um, that's what, it, what, what, yeah, I, that's a good I, way to put it. <laughs> I, I noticed, I noticed the same thing and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, trying to figure out, you know, what makes this election cycle different. I, I think it's, I think it's two things. And uh, I reserve the right to be utterly wrong about this, but I, I think it's, I think it's two things. I think one is there is, while there may not have been a proliferation of, you know, explicitly conspiracy style news sites. I mean, I don't think there's a huge, I don't know the numbers, but I don't think there's a huge increase in the last year of people who went to Jeff Rentz's site as their main news source or before it's news.com. But you have an increasing number of, of news aggregator sites that all look the same. Mm. I mean, the visual layout is the same, the, the sort of Weird ads are the same. The clickbait headlines are written in the same style. Even if you go to CNN, it looks like one mm-hmm. of these news aggregator sites. And so the conspiracy-themed stories were being disseminated more widely through sites that, on the surface, had nothing to do with any of the trappings of what would have been labeled conspiracy culture in 2012 2008, 2004. And so more people were getting access to these types of stories and variations of these stories through sites that to them looked like, you know, in quotes, news, which brings in the other thing that I think was different this year with both on the Sanders side and the, the, the Trumpian side, you've got this, um, you've got this, and it's, it's been so overplayed, this, this phrase, but 
and I'm not sure it's entirely accurate, but you had a, a, a so-called populism, uh, a resurgence of populism. And, and one aspect of that was, is always, you know, the elites, the people in charge, the people who we're supposed to listen to do not have our best interests at heart. And especially on the Trump side, that, that was especially applied to, quote, the mainstream media. And so people looked elsewhere for news. And where did people know where to look elsewhere for news? They saw it on Facebook. Mm. And somebody would share something on Facebook, and it looks just like you share something from NPR, and you share something from I pick Zero a, Hedge or whatever else there. Zero Hedge yeah. or or Veterans Today or you know RT or you know one of these other sites. You share it on Facebook; it looks exact visually, semiotically, it looks the same. It has the aura of news to, to get all Colbert on you. It's, it's newsiness, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not news, but it's, but it's newsiness and it looks like it and you read it and attack of the confirmation bias. This article I just read, you know, reinforces everything I already believe. It must be true. And so you share it and people read it and and what do, you, what do you do when you're on Facebook and you see somebody flood your timeline with a bunch of crap you know is fake? You hide it. And you do that often enough, and pretty soon the only thing you're seeing is stuff you're already going to agree with from people you already know you agree with about almost everything. And you're clicking these stories and you're reading the news and you're like, well, this must be true because it, it sounds true. Yeah, nobody's got the and time to soon, go out and investigate. You know, like with me, because like our Facebook page um, – Every once in a while, something will slide through. We'll post something like the one. The big one was a couple of weeks ago was the guy that was killed by six thousand pounds of porn or something like that in Japan, and that turned out to be a fake news story. That was and awesome. I, yeah, and I posted it, and then quickly I found out that it, it wasn't real. I did try to look it up, and it seemed good enough. But as soon as I, that was, that's one of the things that I pride myself on is when we post something up on our Facebook page and we find out it's fake as quickly as we possibly can, we go back and repost it saying, Hey, that story we posted earlier, it's fake. And here's why. And blah, blah, blah. Um, yep. but most people don't have the time to go out and do real research and find out, is there anything to this? Or if they do, I've noticed also where if you say, um, well, such and such reported on this, well, they're biased towards this political party or they're biased towards that. Right. So you can't believe that. So, right. you know, my information comes from blah, blah, blah. And mine's, you know, because mine doesn't have the bias towards that. Well, well, yours also has the bias in this way. So at what point, what do you believe and what don't you believe? And it, again, it goes back into the mesmia again. So, yep. Well, there's two things. Uh, the first thing is Dennis and I, our show talk about all the time, like, I would love to scrap all of ninth grade curriculum and just teach, you know, digital, digital and informational literacy. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and in terms of like, we can read Huck Finn in tenth grade. That's fine. Like, we need to sit the kids in front of the computer all the time and and take kids through what they would get in a college or community college course of how to cite sources and how to like actually read what Google does and what an algorithm does because, you know, you're just putting a a, a if you're putting someone who is 14 years old now in front of the internet for seven years without any supervision or any instruction on how they're using it, 
it's like giving them a machine gun and saying like, good luck with this thing. Do, do your best. Yep. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, if all this access we've, we've said for so long, Oh, it's great. You have all the access of the world at your fingertips. Well, I mean, is that a great thing with no direction? It's like giving uh, yep. up and from an, a, an AK to an atomic bomb. I mean, if I was 14 and had a atomic bomb, I would have, you know, nuked the rival high school. I wouldn't have, uh, you know, used it and started an arms race with it with an opponent's school. Uh, but that's the point A. Point B was one of the big takeaways from Aaron from your book was, for me, uh, when I read it as chronological from point from point, I felt like the first part in American conspiratorial paranoia was a fear of the outside, of an outside group. We talked about the anti uh, Freemasonry or anti-Catholic, uh, the idea that the Pope coming and taking control. And as America Ooh. progressed as American, you know, Americana Pax or American Empire, and it grew as a nation, the fear then shifted. I don't know if it was in, the, in probably post uh, HUAC uh, committees. And when it went into the church committee and went into um, the Pentagon Papers, as you said, and post-Nixon, the fear of America became this big empire that we have to be scared of, not even communism even more. And now I feel in the post-Cold War era, not just fear our government, but fear our media and fear our uh, – are the you know the the fourth estate and the fifth estate and whatever other state comes after that, because it's all so big now. And maybe it's right to fear it to a degree, but to have this, it seems like the you know the quote MSM mainstream media I uh, tag on everything is almost like you know oh you believe the government byline, the, the that same yeah. tagline is applied where an institution becomes so big where America became the institution that became big enough now that the the conspiracy has shifted from an outside force trying to ruin your life to the force within, the force that is on top of us right now. Oh, it's not even the force that you know takes our taxes now. It's the force that you know we watch on the internet or we watch on TV every night. That's also a force that's, that's taking away. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think I think part of that is is sort of one thing that I I, I do in the book is is I, I sort of go got the that's conspiracy narrative and the sort of the the actual documented historical facts that may have mm-hmm. spawned these things. And I, I think in, in the case of this this increasing suspicion of of the mainstream media, I think if you look at at the um and this is cited a lot, the shrinking number of corporate entities that control what we see and hear on yes. television and radio. Um I think that is incredibly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, local newspapers. I mean, when I were a boy, local newspapers were owned by a guy in the town where the newspaper was published. And everything now is, seems to be, you know, it's, it's owned by, you know, Scripps Howard or USA Today or, you know, all of the local papers are disappearing. We're, we're getting, um, we're, we're getting a, a selected presentation of what the news is based on what a nationwide corporation thinks thinks we should see, and I, I think that's that's troubling. And well, that's because it generates ratings, yeah. and it generates ratings of some kind. Or we'll say the word views, but to get the views, you got to yep. run the kind of stories that people want to see, so to get advertising right. dollars. It's become yep. it's become very the 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 news of making news has become very corporate at this point. So it's getting yeah. harder and, and harder to get your to get your news from something that isn't you know 
like that's that's why Fox and all these things do so well is because they cater to a specific crowd. They cater oh. both to political parties. So therefore, they're going to run the stories that cater to the people that are watching them because they know that those people are going to come and watch that kind of stuff. Well, and yep. I'm going to jump take it a step further. When you say crowd, I, I think it's more a consumer, right? You know, your yes, consumer exactly. base uh, of buying yeah. it. And, yep. and and I think everyone fears it is some kind of political or sociological conspiracy that, you know, it's Fox News. I mean, it is pretty on face right wing and let's say msnbc is pretty left wing but both that's their consumer base they're selling a product yeah, i don't to. think i think it's what everyone forgets is, they're, they're right just, they're just catering to an audience to try to yeah, get you know to get they're, the, they're, get the people yeah. to watch the show because if you watch fox news you'll see things in there like you know buy this food in case you know a disaster happens or exactly. something like that and that's the kind yeah. of things that those people are into whereas if you watch msnbc you're going to see more liberal oriented advertising catering directly to the people that are watching that network. And that's what it is. Oh, it's a business, yeah. you know? And, and I think, you know, the, if you put a pin in that balloon of conspiracy and burst it, people would be disappointed that, you know, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, who owns the Washington Post, you know, he doesn't want to control some political narrative. He just wants to make money at the end of the day. Rupert exactly. Murdoch just wants to make yep. money at the end of the day. And so when you say, like, at the end of the day, like, well, what narrative they're really pushing? Well, it's the narrative of money. Well, that's not exciting and sexy. Well, no, it's not, but it's making people billions of dollars. So yeah. what do they care? Yeah. I, I guarantee it. if the wind shifted either one of those institutions, the Washington Post right now or Fox News, they would go with it in some way to a degree uh, and, and oh, yeah. go where the money goes. But uh, again, I, I always wonder if, if, you know, much like the idea of the open conspiracy of big pharma, you know, inflating prices. Well, yeah, we all know that it's conspiracy. They, they're pretty open about their conspiracy. What, what can we do about it? Well, not much because not much. lobbyists, <laughs> lob, lobbyists and, and, the, and the institutions work this way. Oh, okay. It's like well, Fox uh, News. Yeah. You yeah. look at the Fox television network. You got Fox News, which is the huge conservative thing. And then you got the Fox television network, which right. has the most liberal oriented shows out there for the most part. You know, right. <laughs> it's yeah. a direct contradiction it's, of itself. And most people don't want to, you, know, you it, know, it's it's strange. It's like, okay, well, you know, people want to see things through their filters. But um, in a second, yeah. I want to move into David Icke, though. But um, oh, there we go. Because yeah, <laughs> there's some avenues of strange that I definitely want to explore here. Um, but yeah, it's in the end, I, like I don't think that any of these news networks. Well, there are specific ones. That I, I'm not going to go in the names order, but there are definitely networks that are independent that are very much slanted towards certain uh, political parties and so forth. But the big ones that you see yeah. on TV and stuff. Now, it's funny is is that. The same kind of, you know, this is fake news, blah, 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 that's used to get people in the power now seems to be doing a direct flip. And now it's like when you see Trump, you know, give, I'm not going to talk to you because you are fake news. And it's like, what well, you really can't do that because all of this fake news was used in politics to get people in power. And now you can't just toss it aside and expect not to deal with the repercussions of it. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the, the, the sort of. The sort of use of, I mean, the, the, the term fake news has just become kind of a, anybody can just throw it around to dismiss it's become anything that they agree with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, ah, uh, God. Yeah, at this it's point, like, it's like, well, I don't agree with your saying, so you're fake news. And it's becoming the yeah. accepted thing now. It's, you know, people's heads are, I think people's heads are just beginning to fry at this point. You know, I, I don't know if people yeah. just, maybe maybe it's the kickback of turning into vegetables or what have you, because as soon as the you election know, I, I, was over with or towards the middle of the election or towards the end of the election, it was, then the fake news became everything. But at that point, it didn't matter. So, yeah, it's, it's 
it, it does it does get overwhelming that the, the, the sort of twenty four hour news cycle cable cable news network stuff doesn't doesn't help because because they always have to find every five minutes some new angle mm-hmm. on on the story whether or not anything has changed and another, another thing that's that sort of helped encourage this uh, this distrust of the mainstream media I think is is I mean if you look sort of across the board especially in newspapers uh, the amount of budget spent on mm. actual investigative reporting has diminished. Mm you know, year after year after year. And so much of what people come to read as news is really just people relaying a press release mm-hmm. um, from somebody or a statement from somebody, which is very different from actual journalism. Um, and so I, I think that this sort of decrease in, um, in sort of independent investigative journalism is, is sort of, you know, fueling some of this, uh, some of this as well. But um, actual investigative journalism costs money and when the newspaper that your corporate conglomerate just bought exists as part of a portfolio of small town or or big city newspapers you're not going to waste resources on people investigating local things like oh i don't know lead in the water you're going to you're going to you know operate it in a way that that makes money um because you're you're right money is is what's driving is what's driving all of this if 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 Bill O'Reilly was not making Fox money, Bill O'Reilly would be gone. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't keep. Well, he he expresses our political viewpoint. We're going to keep him no matter how much money we're losing. Hell no, they fire him. Mm-hmm. They they all exist to keep money. They're not. If they're pushing an agenda, it's because that agenda makes them money. It's not because it's it's an ideological campaign to brainwash the masses. Um, if it brainwashes the masses, well, hey, great. But you know, it's not. These are. I mean, Rupert Murdoch does not care. Rupert, well, Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch wants to make money. I think the problem here is our reptilian overlords. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's I jump into David Ike because we've we've gone. I want to I want to get into the, 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 your book covers a lot of the really as we said at the beginning of all this the really crazy heavy conspiracy theories like UFOs and so forth. David Ike is somebody that. We've had people say, "Why don't you get David Icke on the show?" And I'm like, "I can't because I don't, I don't believe in what the guy says, and I'm not, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. to the point where he's just, he's batshit crazy." Um, yeah. Now you've got a piece in your book where writer Jim Keith, I'm going to quote what you put in your book, and this is you quoted uh, writer Jim Keith, like many unworthies who couldn't stand, who couldn't string together a grammatical sentence, which I just could not do for love nor money. Uh, somehow happened into an awful truth about alien invasion. Uh, Keith explains that Ike's research techniques is to believe every goddamn weird thing anybody would, would ever said. And that's pretty much what he does. So before he was, yeah. David Ike was the guy that more or less put together the whole reptilian shape changing overlords thing. Uh, when you go on YouTube, you can type in uh, reptilian changing shape live on the air and you'll see some kind of there's there's all these crazy videos of people that are supposedly changing into reptilians. Tell me about David Icke and how he became what he is. David Icke was, um, you know, involved in politics in the UK back in the 90s. He was a spokesman for the Green Party and uh he was a former, uh, former professional football player over there, sports commentator. He was a public figure. Um, 
I don't know who the American equivalent would be, but you know, it, it Charles Barkley, maybe. Um, yeah, that's what, that's that's what Dennis and I always say to each other. Like, oh, like who would be David Icke in America? We're like Char- Barkley. Barkley would clearly be it. He's out smoking. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 or Shaq with his flat Earth stuff. But yeah, there you um, go. It, oh it, man, it, wow. It, um, <laughs> Shaq, Shaq's just kidding around because he's hilarious. But, um, but, but David Icke um, went from that to being kind of a uh, kind of a new age guru type of fella. Um, talked about turquoise being the vibrational color at the root of the universe, and we're all gods, and and stuff like this. And in his early books, which for the sake of for the sake of the the reading public, I forced myself to consume. Um, it's it's all very much about about human potential sorts of things and and a, a lot of that. And then in the in about ninety five and ninety six, he started to get into what was basically the the standard Illuminati elitist conspiracy theory stuff. And in, in 96 or 97, it, it comes out first big time in his book, The Biggest Secret, uh, which was sort of his, I don't know, don't know if it's his breakthrough book, but it's, it's the one that, that took him from this guy who showed up on Jeff Reds' program every couple months to the David Icke we all know and, uh, and tolerate. Um, he starts talking about how the forces that control this, this world um, from the Illuminati all the way back to the ancient Babylonian brotherhood, they are not actually human. They are reptilians from the lower fourth dimension that can shape shift into, um, into human form. And, and that the ruling people on this planet from the British Royal family to to the Bushes, to Hillary Clinton, to to all of these, are actually shape shifting reptilians. And he had he had some some witnesses who, if you listen to interviews with people like Arizona Wilder, um, who he talks about in his book, um, like a lot of these people who who say they've been victims of of you know the Illuminati abuse and satanic ritual abuse things and and you know. CIA mind controlled sex slavery type things. You can tell listening to them, these people have clearly been through something, right? You know, they're not making it up. They've been traumatized in some way. And in my opinion, this is how they've, they've processed it. You know, they have eyewitnesses and, and this and, and that. And it took off from there because he was sort of, sort of just standard conspiracy stuff. And then the, the reptilians show up and that's kind of his ticket, you know, right through the stratosphere of weirdness. And because it was such an outrageous thing that it got attention. But when he tied it to all of these other conspiracy theories that were already very well known, the conspiracy culture was like, well, we're not sure about the reptilian thing, but he seems right about all of this other stuff that we already agree with. So maybe he's on to something. How do you ignore that um, one part of it, though? That's kind of a big thing, you know? <laughs> I, I know. It's like, well, maybe he's speaking metaphorically, and then I'm not speaking metaphorically. It's like, ah, oh, jeez. Um, but, but, you know, it, it's, and, and then my, my favorite thing about, about Ike is that um, he... Uh, 
he's like all of these guys. His thing is if if I'm lying, why haven't they sued me? And then he got sued uh, by a guy he said was a reptilian involved in like like you know human sacrifice and, mm-hmm. and blood sacrifices. And, and Ike doesn't talk about this, but he actually settled the suit against the guy. So. Um, so clearly he, he wasn't willing to, to go into open court and testify. He had to, you know, part of the settlement was he had to go back and, and release edited versions of, I think it was his book, Children of the Matrix. That's another thing. We're all living inside a matrix-like simulation of reality run by the reptilians. Um, my favorite thing about the reptilians is, is the argument that, you know, if you say, well, you know, what about V and they live? I was going there, just, yes. Yeah. Wiping this from movies says, no, those movies were attempts by some people to get the truth out or depending on who you talk to sort of arrogant proclamations of what the truth was, knowing that most people would never really get it. You know, that reminds um, me of something. There's another... That's that's yeah. one of the tenets of the Illuminati is that's that's one of the things is that they're they're actually secretly trying to tell the world what they're doing. So they yeah. leave clues yeah. to this stuff was... out in the open. That's where you're going, isn't I was, it? I was, yep. <laughs> I was just going to mention that. Yeah, there's um, there's a guy uh, in sort of the Christian conspiracy circles named uh, named Lindsey Williams, who uh, who claims to have all sorts of contacts within within the Illuminati. From the time he was a chaplain on an oil pipeline, he got to know the head of this oil company, who you know introduced him to all these elite players. And it's part of their their code of honor that they tell us little people what they're up to. Uh, the only way they're, they're sort of morally justified in screwing us all is if they plant these little clues by, you know, the shape of something in a, in the background of a Disney movie that is, that is clearly, you know, Magog. Oh, or type something. in the Simpsons Illuminati the- on YouTube and watch what happens. There are hours long videos <laughs> of clues all over, like, they're, like they'll show an episode of The Simpsons, and the, the guy goes to painstaking details to point out all of the triangles and possible references to the Illuminati. Um, it, it's insane the amount of work that, that that people put into pointing these out. It's like the same, you know, I think the same super, the people do the Super Bowl ones. Um, it just blows yeah. my mind like that, that the amount of, of work that's put into pulling Illuminati references out of everything. You know. Oh yeah, and uh, triangle. Yeah. <laughs> there, see it? It's a triangle. Yeah, it, yes, that's a triangle. Yeah. It's a triangle. It's an inverted triangle. It's a pentagram. Oh my God, pentagrams! They're everywhere. Um, that's a lot, that's a lot a of pentag- triangles all together. It's a six-pointed star yeah. indicating that we're under the control of the Zionist-occupied government. You know. Okay. It, well. Okay, catch up in real quick on that part point then. Oh boy! Lots of things. Like, like I used to always think. I used to always think David Ike like like I was one of those people early on when I first heard of him. Like I think I first got turned on him like in John Ronson's book Them Adventures with Extremists. Yeah, yeah. And and I was like, who is this guy? And John Ronson puts out the the theory that he could be just you know an anti-Semitic guy who's using code language. Or he could be be legitimately crazy. I don't know which one. Or he could be a con man or all three. And I was with like, I was like, well, this does sound like code of language. And then the more I read him, I was like, no, he is a con man. He just like David Icke is like the Rosetta Stone of whatever conspiracy theory there is. He fits it into his narrative in some way until it's this massive super creature that can't even support itself. And so he creates my favorite thing is like his new stuff of like, 
this, as you said, the Matrix stuff where, well, it's all some kind of repeat. So it repeats and like they just want you to see different parts of it. And so what happens is like they might be from another dimension. They might be from uh, Roswell. And uh, like it just all covers itself after a while to the point of just. <laughs> just yeah, madness. Last, last I heard, the 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 Greys were at war with the reptilians, and the reptilians were the evil creatures, and the Greys were the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But the other thing I was going to say, Aaron, you I'm going to get point. sued. <laughs> <laughs> Where you do say in your book, you make a great job. You do you do a great point of pointing out that whenever someone makes these claims, like Hodges or anyone else, they always say if, and I may be correct. Like they always parse the language in a way. Oh yeah, that leaves it so ambiguous they can a not be sued in some way, or have uh, you know any kind of slander libel lawsuit filed against them. But they yeah. always have an out, like a P.T. Barnum out. Then and say, well, I did say may or may not, and I've changed my mind yeah. on this issue. I mean, there yeah. is a a really interesting idea of how to structure this entire thing along uh, like a greater good, and and it seems like the guys who know that and, and pick up on that 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 legalese to do it thrive and everyone else who makes these bold predictions of apocalypse day or whatever else falls to the wayside very quickly and now we see all the guys who are more much more savvy and you know twisting the message with a bit of legalese in there of, of ifs and mays and buts and could be yeah yeah absolutely it is um never say anything that is absolutely falsifiable it never, never do that. That's a, that's a, that's a rookie mistake. It's like a, a, sort of my, my lowbrow geekdom is coming out. I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Okay. And it's, it's like the old carny concept of kayfabe, right? You're, you're conning the marks. These, these, the, the, the people who believe this stuff are marks and they're being conned. Because wait, wait, wait. So what you're saying is, is that my phone probably wasn't tapped by Obama, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> no? no, he's watching you through your microwave. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Watching Go ahead. you oh. through the microwave. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's you know, you're 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 buying the books. You're watching the videos. You're clicking on the websites, and all of these things are 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 just choked with ads now. All of this stuff is monetized. The stuff that isn't monetized. That's the real wacky stuff that's fun to read. Mm. The stuff that is monetized, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of regurgitated stuff designed to get clicks. Um, but when you're, you're looking at just some, some weirdos post on an, on an email list or like the three guys who are still on Usenet, that's the really, <laughs> that's the really weird stuff. But there is, yeah, they're very good at making very clear that they have an out if they're ever proven wrong. And, that is something that, you know, it, I think sometimes people lose sight of the fact that one of the things about conspiracy theory and conspiracy culture that I don't think gets enough play is the, is the, the commercialization and the promotion of it as a business. Um, I don't think there's been enough work done on that, and I don't have energy to do it myself. So somebody go well, do an extensive study on the business of conspiracy. Well, Alex um, Jones, like that's I go back to Alex Jones because anytime anything happens, I was going to go into this later, but anytime anything happens, it's immediately referred to as a false flag. 
And usually yep. Alex Jones or one of Alex Jones's crew or something like that is one of the first peoples to do it within five minutes. It's to a point now where whenever a tragedy happens, I'll go on Facebook and be like, all right, let's start the countdown before the words false flag begin. False used. flag. And yep. as soon as it's used, what it does is it, it just like like Alex Jones is usually one of the first people to throw that out there because it generates hits to his site. It generates yep. clicks. It generates and there's all kinds of like. There's, there, it's it, that that's a thriving thing. It's like the business of conspiracy is a, is a, is a genuine thing, to the point where it's like we don't even know any news about what happened. Like when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, I remember being online yeah. and before any news was even out there, it was like false flag, false flag, false flag. You know, it's it's and that's what it's it's that's one of the things that's become is I don't I don't think there's people out there that necessarily believe in a lot of this stuff, but they do believe in the money that it generates. They do believe in, you know, this is the this is that wave, and I'm going to ride it right now, and I'm going to spin this to do whatever I got to do to get more clicks or to get more reads or to get more people to listen to my show or what have you. Because it seems that the people that are into this stuff kind of feed on it, and they want it that they just, you know, they just keep on going for the most part. Well, if, if I can real yeah. quick circle, circle back around to uh, what I said earlier in terms of like the idea of the, there is open conspiracy, I think, and there is false flags. Like you look at the Gulf of Tonkin and you look at things mm -hmm. that happened with uh, the Spanish-American War in the main, like, but they're pretty open and where everyone agrees like, oh, yeah, that probably really didn't happen. North Vietnamese probably really didn't fire on boats in, in, in the Tonkin and it was probably an excuse to go to war. What are you going to do about it? I mean, that, that, I mean, that's also what it comes down to. And it didn't affect you directly. It happened across the world mm -hmm. to start a to start a war. Uh, it didn't happen in Boston. It didn't happen in San Bernardino. It happened across the world to start a war for, you know, geopolitical reasons. And then the question is, OK, we're, we all agree this is probably something that legitimately happened. What, what can we do now? Well, nothing. Well, instead, I'm going to no. look at something. We're, we're, exactly. We're, I'm going to look at something that uh, I can yell and rant about that. I know I will ultimately have no control over, but it'll make me feel good in vindication. And that's what we do because I, I just I wonder if people just become frustrated because when something very plainly is one of those things that we all just put it in a history book and say, yeah, that happened. Now let's look at Project Northwoods instead because it's something that could have happened in Cuba. And we, we, we talk about that to death, to death, to death, to death. There was some kind of plan on a CIA drawing board that never happened. Well, 10 years later, you have something that legitimately happened, but we don't talk about it because, you know, it, it resulted in the deaths of almost a million people in a prolonged war that destabilized an entire region. Well, what, what, what can you do as an average citizen? I can do nothing, but I can go on Usenet or I can go on the Internet and rant about something else in contemporary politics forever. And, and that's cathartic, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And and, you know, the, the thing is, yeah, you can I mean the beginning of the Mexican-American War with, you know, the you know, American blood was shed on American soil. That's almost the definition of a false flag attack. They right. disagreed about where the border was. Who know, who, so who knows? We were invading it from their point of view. They were invading from our point of view. And the, the, the danger is, what I, what I see a lot of, is, yes, these things have happened in the past. Yes, we know there have been conspiracies. Yes, the government has done this, this or that. Corporations have done this or that. That does not mean that every time something happens, it must be one of those things. Sometimes this is just some, sometimes it's a terrorist bombing at the marathon. Sometimes an enemy did attack us. It doesn't, just because it's happened before, doesn't mean every time something that looks like this happens, it's this. Um, and, and the other 
extreme, and I think the one that, that sort of feeds into conspiracy stuff, and not just conspiracy stuff, but just the general decline of sort of critical thought um, and, and critical analysis is this sort of, well, who can really know anything, right? Mm. Mm. How do we really know? You can't believe anybody. You're leading me Everybody's to my next lying. one. Myself yeah. and Patrick are well. Me for me personally, I think Patrick's in this one. One of my biggest ones is the whole Sandy Hook conspiracy thing. That yeah. is that is my favorite headache pill in my that that is the one that when I read about it, it absolutely infuriates me. To yeah. where I I, I uh, you cannot yeah. you cannot can there, there's this guy Wolfgang Hulbig, and he is like the biggest the biggest proponent to the whole false flag Sandy Hook was was absolutely a hoax and the guy will not let it go to the point where he's gone out and bothered the families he's chased them down and he absolutely will not stop and no matter what is thrown at him to say this is you know, like one of the one of the I sent Patrick an article about it a few days ago one of the people where their child died the guy finally released the death death certificate for his child and they were like no that's a fake death certificate all these kids that died didn't they, they, none of these kids were there that didn't die and the, uh, from last I was reading, he was still trying to prove that the whole Sandy Hook thing was a hoax based on bills for porta potties. And this guy uh, just these people geez. will not give up, you know. And that's that that's the kind of stuff. Like, okay, we we talk about David Icke, and yeah, it's funny that people believe this stuff, and but ultimately that really isn't hurting anybody. If you want to believe that reptilians mm-hmm. are running the country or whatever, fine. If you if you think the UFOs are running the country or whatever, fine. You're nutty. You're crazy. I can laugh at you, but you're not going out and really harassing people. But when you start doing false flag stuff, like. People actually yeah. did get hurt. People did die. You know, when you get these people that are, I know it disgusts you. I can tell by the way you're talking. That is where yeah, I lose it, it. it. And that's it, why I can't cover it. a lot of this stuff because I go back to that. And it's like, I, I can't, I can't rationalize it. I cannot, you know, or when the guy walked into the movie theater and that was a false flag. Anytime some major incident happens where lots of people get hurt, it's like, well, these are crisis actors. This isn't real. And there's nothing you can tell them because they're, they're just going to change the narrative to do whatever they have to do to believe it's fake. So, yeah, you know, it's, I, it's you know, what yeah. what do you have to say uh, about that kind of stuff? Because, I, I, you know, you didn't go into that kind of stuff in your book. And I, I, I guess I can see why. But but this is like. Is this the direction that conspiracy is going now? Have you noticed a trend to go that way where, you know, besides the farcical craziness where you it's this new direction of, you know, big brothers in charge and, and these this is how they're trying to distract you? Yeah, you know, the the false the, the Sandy Hook thing, yeah, it, it just it, it's just I know it, it's it's mind blowing. It, it's you know <laughs> I I mean who who acts like that? You know, you know, the thing is, this guy? If you think, <laughs> I know. I, I guess. I mean, even if you think it's, and, and so this is, as far as it's whether or not this is the new thing. This is, this is sort of where the like like Wolfgang or whatever his name is, and and the, the who's harassing, who ra- harassing parents of these of these of these uh, you know, dead children. Here's the thing: you've got this conspiracy culture, and it, it's it's always been around in some form for a very long time. What you've you've also got now is is the the online and now offline sort of troll culture mm. that you know it, it's imagine imagine conspiracy nonsense blended with the biggest jerk on Reddit you've 
ever come across. And then that person finds out your address. Mm -hmm. That is what this is turning into. And in, in the last, in the last six months or so, I've, I, you know, it, it's all of, all of this and, and people's reactions to it and, and people's belief in it, it. It's sort of taken a lot of the fun out of paying attention to this subculture mm -hmm. because, because, you know, you, you get things like the, like the Sandy Hook truthers and, and, and things like that. And it, it, it's just like, it, at some point this just becomes, I, I just, I just kind of want somebody to hit this guy. You know, it's like some people need punched in the face. And, and it, you know, it's like when, when Buzz Aldrin punched, or I think it was Buzz Aldrin punched the guy who said he never landed on the moon. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's another yeah. one. You know, it's just. What should happen? Yeah. No matter, it's like we, there's a mirror up there. They've, they've shot a mirror at the moon. Like, Benal had a guy on his show at one time. I don't remember what the guy's name was, but the guy, Tim was like, what is it going to take to convince you that we're on the moon? He goes, I have to go there myself and I have to see it for myself. <laughs> he goes, that is the only thing. And realistically, I think if the guy were to go there, he would, he would still find some way. Well, they must have just put that stuff there before I got here. So well, Elon yeah. Musk, Elon Musk drugged me and uh, tricked me some way. Yeah. You know. I'm, I'm on a soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think, People's uh, people's identities get bound up in in being uh, in being contrarian sometimes, mm -hmm. and uh, it's very difficult to acknowledge that you may be wrong. And I, I, I think that's one of one of the hallmarks of a of a mature, educated, rational person is, is to look at evidence and and say, well, I was mistaken. Thank mm. you for making me aware of this. I did not know that. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, that's what that's what people should do. That's what people. I, I'm, I'm sounding old. That's what people used to do. But um, <laughs> you know, before all this internet, back when I got all my conspiracies off the telegraph, uh, things were different. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think I, I think um, I, I think. I think conspiracy culture has grown, but I think conspiracy culture has sort of just kind of, it's, uh, I'm not sure the best way to say it because I don't think it's a more vibrant. Okay. This is conspiracy culture has gone, has gone mainstream and, and internet clickbait mass media. It has not actually innovated in any way. Um, mm. I'm not seeing any of the interesting series like I saw back in the nineties. Um, I'm not seeing anything that's nearly as cool as the quadrant sign system where there were stickers on the backs of road signs. And that was so the invading UN armies would know which way to go because oh, they yeah. needed to drive down the opposite side of the road so they'd get direction. Yes. Um, I'm not seeing anything that cool. <laughs> yes. Ro and I talked on the phone the other day uh, about this uh, the, was this what we talked about at the very end, right? We were going to ask you that. Uh, yeah. We, we feel like all the really innovative, crazy stuff has kind of gone away, and it is all recycled, rehashed stuff. That's well, it's also easy as common denominator. Yes, exactly. It's very easy to say, yeah. oh, there was a tragedy, it's a false flag. Before anybody yes. even knew you know, anything about it at all, well, the information that's going to come out is going to be fake anyway, so this is obviously a false flag, blah, blah. Whereas it seems like back in the day, more effort was put into creating general you know, conspiracy theories. 
um, more, you know, there, there was more to them. There was, there was something more to everything. Nowadays we have to deal with Pizzagate, you know, which I, I posted yeah. something on Facebook about it and people were like, well, those emails do look pretty, you know, they're, they're, they look a little fishy and, you know, and it's just, fishy. you know, like I, a while ago we did a show. I'm, I'm going to be inviting, well, I'm already going to catch a lot of grief for this show. Anyways, we did a show a while ago about the whole John Teeter thing. And of all the shows that oh, we've geez. ever done, <laughs> Of all the shows that we've ever done and of all the things that we've ever talked about, probably up until this point, you know, we didn't really catch much kickback for some of the stuff we did. We would get the occasional weird email. But when we did the John Teeter thing, the Teeter Tots came out of the woodwork. And boy, these people were relentless. Really yeah, Teeter Tots is a term that I use for them. Um, nice going. That is awesome. And we just caught so much grief over the whole John Teeter thing because we had one of the guys on, we had one of the people on the show that claimed that they were responsible for the hoax, which the hoax basically was, in a nutshell, somebody went on coast-to-coast uh, chat forums or uh, whatever you want to call it, um, bulletin board, and said that they were a time traveler from the future that had to come back in time and get a certain make of an IBM computer to take it back to the future to prevent some catastrophe from happening. And they had a nice, crazy, worked-out story with it. Nowadays, oh, which, which was fantastic all alone. Like, like that, yeah. again, why did you have to take it a step further? Like, that was fantastic. I, I was riveted was by awesome. that. Yeah, it was. It was but awesome. Nowadays, that would not. There's just no way in the world that conspiracy theory or somebody going out and saying that would just not fly because everything is fact checked, everything is monitored. It just wouldn't work. But we did mm -hmm. the show, and you know, we believe the guy was part of it. We knew the guy for a while. It took me a long time to get him onto the show to talk about it. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I bugged him, and the week later he said he would do it. It took me a few years to get this guy on to tell the mm -hmm. story about it behind the scenes, and he did tell us other stuff, which we said, okay, we won't talk about that, even though you're telling us. He says, don't talk about this, but this is what happened here, here, and here. And then almost immediately, it was like instant messages, emails. People were driving me nuts. Like, how dare you do this show about this? How could you not believe this? Just because this guy's saying this, I think he's lying. This couldn't be true. And I'm blown away. I'm like, you people really believe that this guy went on a coast to coast chat board and put this thing up there. Um, so much so recently, I like, okay, we, we got rid of the episode. We, we tried to push that away as much as we could because I just got tired of hearing from people about it and getting harassed by it. Recently, somebody did something and brought it back up and mentioned our name. And as soon as that person did, I knew something was going on. I didn't know what was specifically what it was. But as soon as that happened on Twitter and all these places, we started getting barraged by the, the teeter tots again. I had a guy that said he was wow. John Teeter and he was he was the second incarnation of John Teeter because the first John Teeter didn't do his job. <laughs> and he was here to fix the job that the first John Teeter screwed up. And then it was like. Oh, you're, you're the guy that, you know, you're talking about this again. And I'm sure these people are going to come after me again, which at this point I don't care anymore because it's like, whatever, but it was insane. I'm like, for real, these, these are the people that, you know, I mean, we've been accused of being Illuminati disinfo agents and stuff in the past, which I love hearing. I just kind of get a giggle out of it, you know, and if, if people see the lifestyle that I live, you know, obviously I'm not on their <laughs> payroll. I wish we were, <laughs> that would be great, you know, but, uh, and it was just that was the first time I ever really had to deal with that mindset of that that people want so badly for this stuff to be real sometimes. But yeah. the John going back to us saying the John Teeter that was a fantastic story. It was a fun it was a fun conspiracy. You know, I'm working on one for the Polybius video game that never existed right now, which is a fun story. Um, you know, there's always there's always really cool conspiracies out there that are just really fun stories. And there's a, there was a lot more work put into them, whereas nowadays, you know, it, it seems it's a lot more hurtful. It seems more 
you know, militaristic by the people that put this stuff together. It seems more attacking. Yeah. It seems, you know, because before, you know, you could say you could be like a John F. Kennedy conspiracy conspiracist, you know, and it wasn't a hurtful thing. People would think you were nuts or whatever. But nowadays it's, it's, you know, people are ready to throw down and kill one another over this stuff sometimes. You know, oh, we just get yeah. a lot of, we just get a lot of judge. We're, uh, we're on the payroll of George Soros or, uh, David Brock. We, we didn't know who David Brock was. We had to look him up one day on DMs. We're like, you're like, Shira Blue. I was like, what the hell are they talking about, Dennis? I had to look it up, and it was a whole conspiracy theory that, you know, paid protesters are showing up at town halls. Uh, oh, that, that stuff, yeah. $1,500 $1, a pop. I'll tell you what, right now, I'll put it out. If George Soros wants to pay me $1,500 oh, to show up. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll wear a buddy suit. I'll do whatever you want. Just yeah. give me the fifteen hundred bucks, man. Right. <laughs> That's right. And We're a free bus ride that. and a lunch. Sure. And a free bus this. ride and a lunch yep. and a dinner. Let's do this. Yep, I'm down. What? Fifty. That's 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 great work what, right there. What concern? What concerns me is, and I, I think one one of the the things that I, I hope comes across in the book is that I, I don't. I, I think conspiracies are are real i you know there are conspiracies out there the government has done many of the things that you know in in the broad categories of things that many of these conspiracy theories um discuss uh from from mind control to to you know eugenics laws to Mm -hmm. to you know to interning an entire group of people based on their race during a war you know we did that um these are not i'm not dismissing that these things are possible. What I, I do worry about is that, and you know, there's, there's some great stuff. If you've, um, you know, read books like, uh, like Mirage man or Greg Bishop's project beta, mm-hmm. um, the, the, there are elements in the intelligence community that are more than willing to use people's wacky beliefs as a way to hide the actual things they are doing. And, Sometimes, I, here's my sort of meta-conspiracy theory, to what degree are, conspiracies, are the wilder conspiracy theories being promoted by elements of the government that are trying to distract us from the actual conspiracies that are going on? Oh, I believe that's happening now. I, I don't have a yeah, doubt of that. I, yeah, there's not a doubt in that. It's, 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 I, hate, I hate to sound like the informed, I'm better than you, but it's almost, it's almost blatantly obvious. It's just a matter at yeah. this point of what people want to believe. If things come out that are going on right now, that's where you're going to see the next step is it's going to be, okay, well, here's proof of a conspiracy. Well, I think that your proof of conspiracy is actually a conspiracy within itself. You know, right. and then your head just explodes. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll jump real quick. I mean, it's pretty obvious that this goes on, the fact that Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State led a campaign to spread information that would damage Vladimir Putin in his 2012 election, the, the the Kremlin decides to do the same thing much more effectively to the United States election. To where now it, it is now under FBI and maybe NSA probe of their entire Twitter bot armies created to you know, and this is documented through algorithms where there's more Trump pro Trump Twitter bots out there to spread false messages about Hillary Clinton and, and the Democrats than there were about you know Donald Trump and the Republicans. I mean, like it's a legitimate thing, but I I wonder and Aaron, you just kind of said it that there are real conspiracies, but. Are they just not sexy enough? I mean, like, I, 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 I'm not going to say this as sexy as, as being derogatory, but, like, there seems to be this weird obsession with the most salacious stuff of, like, pedophilia, blood, oh, yeah. sa- like the, the old thing of the Jewish blood sacrifice. The most gory and sexually devious yep. stuff seems to float to the top. And then the really That's innocuous. 
<laughs> yeah, right. But exactly. I mean, the old saying, but the most boring stuff of one state actor did it to another state actor. So they were being kind. Oh, that's boring. That's the great game. No one wants to hear about that. Yeah. Reindeer yeah. Games. It, it, it's, it, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, here, here's the thing. We all want a James Bond novel. And mm. what we end up with in reality is a John Le Carre novel. Oh, um, so much better. I, 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 <laughs> I love James Bond novels when I was a kid. And I was like, ooh, spy stuff. I was probably too young to be reading James Bond in like fifth grade. But I, I oh, love yeah, it. And, and so then, then I know. I was like, oh, he's a <laughs> so, <laughs> um and, and so, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That's spy stuff. I read it and I'm like, I don't understand a word of this, and I'm mm. falling asleep. You know, and and that's what real espionage is. It is yeah. boring. And I've got a book on the inside of the in a, the CIA. It's all about like actual things that happen inside the CIA. And I bought that book going, oh, I'm going to learn some really cool stuff here. I don't think I've ever finished it. I mean, there is some cool yeah. stuff in there. It talks about how agents are paid off and certain things like that. There's some neat stuff in there, but it's not. It's it's like this is really this is really boring. <laughs> this is like yeah. I, I'm gonna go read something else for sure. You know. <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks, and, and but... if you if you yeah if, if you look at the the stuff that came out of the the church committee hearings and the the um, uh, Rockefeller committee hearings uh, about government uh, government abuse of of power and things during the 1970s, this is where we we first get our glimpses of the MK ultra mind control program and, uh, and, you know, CIA, uh, CIA operations in the United States, which they're not supposed to do. Um, these are, these are, are, are devious things that violated people's, uh, civil rights. And in, in some cases, you know, human rights. And these are, these are, they're deeply troubling things that are absolutely real and need a lot more, Scrutiny and a lot more public attention paid to them. So but on the whole, they're glossed as, over. As the, you know, yeah. on the whole, so, nobody so, really pays we, attention we, to that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, it, it, we, we need the public to, to make sure these things don't happen again. But what gets the attention? Kathy O'Brien's daughter and her were being chased mm. through the woods by a well-endowed Dick Cheney who treated them like prostitutes, mm. which probably didn't happen. Just had to add it well endowed, but, didn't you? <laughs> I, you know, I, I had to throw that in. But, so um, much for Patrick book, students listening Trans- to this. <laughs> Transformation of America. Um, I didn't say well endowed. How? He had a very large brain. The man. Right. Oh but um, um, it, it, it's it's a large bald head. Um, but it, it's you know, her Transformation of America book and Bryce Taylor's uh, book. Um, which has like a, a title that's a paragraph long. Oh, thanks for the memories, and then a subtitle that's you know very long. Uh, but um, this idea that the CIA mind-controlled sex slave, the Project Monarch stuff. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a documented part of the MK Ultra thing, and it's easy to see why that story would persist because we know that a lot of Project Monarch mind control stuff, a lot of that paper MK Ultra mind control stuff. Uh, CIA director Richard Helms had a lot of the files destroyed very suspiciously. Mm. Well, we didn't need them anymore um, right before you get called to testify. Um, but it leaves an opening for anybody to say anything was a part of MK Ultra. And, well, why isn't there any paperwork? Well, that was part of the bunch that was probably destroyed. And so we jumped to that salacious stuff. Um, 
and we we sort of ignore the uh, the way that these mind control programs funneled government money for these experiments to uh, universities in the United States and Canada. That should be a much bigger story than it's been over mm-hmm. the last 40 years. I, I mean, this isn't just, well, we're developing, you know, a, a new neutron bomb, as, as horrible as that is. This is, well, we're, you know, using human test subjects to, you know, test these interrogation methods or these these drugs or these techniques or something like that. And we're getting government money and we're using institutional you know, educational institutions to do this, but you know, that doesn't, that doesn't have a, a, you know, weird, creepy mind control porn vibe to it. So mm. who cares? Right. You know, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's all part of the, uh, uh, the sort of entertainmentification of, in, oh, sorry, infotainment. That's the word I was trying to make. <laughs> was infotainment. Say. You can uh, create new words here. That's fine. Word for this. <laughs> infotainment that's the word we're supposed to use uh infotainment presentation of things and uh if it's not you know some things just aren't aren't sexy well i'm going to wind this down because we've had you on here uh, yeah true absolutely um i've had you guys both on here for quite a while now so i'm going to wind this down um i I didn't get to touch on a lot of the stuff that i wanted to but it's still this has still been a lot of fun it's been very interesting um what are you doing these days? Because I, I see that you haven't you haven't come out with anything recently. Um, would you ever tap back into this subject again, especially with what's going on right now, or are you are you moving on to other things? Um, I had a book come out a, a, a month and a half ago um, that has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Uh, about um, it's a part of a series on using film in the classroom about using uh, newsreel and public information shorts in the history classroom and, and I really enjoyed that. Um, that was fun to do. And um, so I did that, been doing some uh, some sort of freelance uh, history type stuff. Uh, as, as far as getting back into this stuff, I... Think I, you're done? I don't... <laughs> I think I'm done. You know, I, I, did, I, I, I did my contact ebook. I did my conspiracy theory book. I did my book where I was able to buy a bunch of DVDs and write them off on my taxes. You know, I, I've done some Doctor Who stuff. I, you know, I, unless I write a book about pro wrestling, I pretty much hit, any, hit everything I know anything about. Um, and, and the thing is, with, with the paranormal conspiracy stuff, there are, you know, I, I, I think I, I handled the conspiracy stuff to the best of, of my particular skill and ability. And, you know, I, I have a, I have a good day job. And so I'm very comfortable saying, I, I don't have anything more to say on this in book form for right now. And I'm going to sit back and let, you know, newer voices and, and other voices who I, who I, who I love and who I, who I listen to talk about stuff. I've, I don't need to say much more in paranormal stuff because man, you got guys like Joshua Cutchin out there tearing it up, right? Yeah, Josh you know, is a good like, guy. I, mm. I know Josh I pretty I well. <laughs> I, uh, I I finally uh, finally read his new uh, Brimstone Deceit book, and it, it, it's just it's just dynamite. And you know, there um, the Silver Screen Saucers guy, Robbie Morrison's coming out with an anthology of essays by mm. by like everybody I admire in the field, and. And the conspiracy theory world has basically turned to crap thanks to the internet in 2016. So, 
You know, uh, right now I'm right now I'm good, but uh, I love coming on shows like this and talking about it because um, it, because it's way easier than writing a book. It's been a lot of fun, Aaron. This is you know <laughs> where can people buy your books? Do you have a website? You know, uh, this is where you give you the chance to pimp your goods. Um, yeah, um, on, on the web I've, I've got a, a, a skeleton version of the old website back up at uh, ajgulyas dot net. And uh, if you search for Aaron John Gullius on Facebook, my author page comes up, and uh, there's there's links there and everything. Or just just search on Amazon, and that uh, not many Gulliuses around writing about this stuff. So I think I'm the only one. So um, it, it's uh, it's pretty easy to find. Um, if uh, some of some of the books because they're from academic publishers are stupid expensive. So um, if you want to read them, what I encourage people to do is harass your local library to buy a copy um, and then check it out from your local library because uh, I get paid either way. So uh, whether, whether you buy it or the library buys it, I don't care. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, on Facebook and, uh, and they're at the website. All right, Patrick, um, this is your second time on this show. Um, where can people find you and go ahead and run your spiel? Oh, real quick. The show is almost educational. It's a podcast in which I and my co-host Dennis are both high school teachers. One teaches English, one teaches government and history. We sit down with a thought experiment that we couldn't get through in the classroom that week. Uh, something completely crazy. We couldn't fit into common core curriculum. What happens if we got rid of Congress? Like we just abolished uh, gridlock Congress and just went with two branches of government. What if Truman was allowed to use atomic bombs in the Korean War? What would the ramifications of that be? Nice. That was a good one. Uh, and what if George? Uh, and silly, trivial stuff like what if Star Wars was a flop and George Lucas couldn't deliver the goods? What would modern cinema look like? And then we talk it to death. Uh, we have a quiz. We are on. Uh, we have a website, almosteducational.com. You can find us in any podcatcher out there from google play to itunes and we're on twitter at almost educate all right guys thanks for coming on here this has been a whole lot of fun aaron thank you for being patient with all the skype pickups and things like that i'm glad you stuck no it problem out. I'm, I'm glad we i'm glad this all worked out because i'll tell you at the beginning of this show i was ready to have a stroke behind the scenes <laughs> so <laughs> you know either way I'm, I'm glad we managed to pull this off and i, I really wish it Absolutely. hadn't taken me so long to get you on the show I, I might bug you again to come back on sometime down the road again too so um that'd be that'd be fun that'd be fun i had a great time same with you patrick thanks for coming in and filling oh. in for lobo i really appreciate it i was i was glad i, I had you here so it was um, fun all right guys you take care and uh, i'll talk to you guys again okay talk to you later bye Big thanks to Patrick over at Almost Educational and a big thanks to Aaron for managing to put up with all of our audio glitches and what haps. I, I normally don't like to do shows off of telephone, but sometimes that's the only way you can do it. And we were just having so many issues that we just did what we had to do. But anyways, uh, next week, just as a reminder, uh, Lobo will be dropping episode four of The Spark. Yes, it is episode four and The Spark are the solo shows that he records where he just Kind of comes up with a topic, digs somebody up or digs up a topic and runs with it. And I let him go. And then after that, we will be returning with both of us for another interview. 
Um, interview wise for the month of April, I wasn't trying to book a lot of interviews, but again, they're, they're, they just keep falling into our lap and we've been trying to get a lot of these people for a long time. And for whatever reason, this year seems to be the year that we've been turning into an interview show. Um, I am hoping to get back to some ramble casts of one kind or another though, pretty soon. Uh, it would be nice just to sit down and let what hair we have down and just have a good time though. But anyways, that's pretty much all I can think of. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We did get a voicemail or two, but I'm not going to throw them here because the show's already too long. <laughs> so if you send a voicemail in and you know who you are, you're, I will be using them. I will be using them soon. I'm just not going to be dropping them within the next couple episodes. But anyways, uh, this is Rojan. Peace out from the D. Die Wunder dieser Welt werden dir geschenkt. Glück ist nicht käuflich. Sehnsucht bleibt unerreicht.
Cutting in and out thing again. Have I turned into a robot? Awesome weird little snippets. <laughs> oh my god. Half sentences. Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay. I, like restart Skype. He said restart Skype. I heard that part. 